Welcome to recovered1440.com Cabin Fever episode 13. Where has the fucking time gone? My name is Bobby and I'm an addict. This is a podcast for people that might be struggling, who are looking for a way out of drug addiction, who may not even know that they're suffering from drug addiction, <clears throat> but to let them know that there is a solution. Uh, me and my friends are part of a 12-step fellowship that wishes to remain anonymous at the level of press. They're not allied of any sect, denomination, religion, politics, or any of that shit. But if you listen to The Drug of Choice, tap that into Google and follow it up with meetings near me, then I'm sure you'll find an abundance of love. I'm joined today by a new friend of mine called Kent. Welcome, Kent. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Um, just like the normal format, mate, if you'd like to explain what life was like, what you did and, and what your life's like today. Yeah, It'd be beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so uh, first of all, yeah, mate, thank you very much for inviting me. Um, you know, when we talked, about this and I said look my message is not about you know, I've got to tell my story but it's not one of those you know I used to be a drug addict and now I'm not I'm some sort of legend or whatever <laughs> that's not the, that's not what my message my message is that healing and recovery is possible mm. and that if you're out there and you're struggling with frequent drugs uh, there is a way out mm. and the reason I say that is because that was my experience so just very briefly, how was it before? Um, I'll just you know quickly you know whistle stop tour through my life. So I'm Australian, grew up in Queensland country. Um, not a lot of money around in my family, but but mum and dad worked very very hard to put me and my two older brothers into private school for secondary school. I there was no no drink, no drugs, no abuse, no traumatic events in my life. I had a good upbringing, mm -hmm. you know. Um, as I said, it wasn't, it, there wasn't a lot of money, but I had everything I wanted, yeah. you know. Um, and Queensland country, a lot of space, you know, beaches, swimming pools, sport. It was, it was great, outdoor lifestyle. Vice captain of the school, captain of sport, left school, and um, I threw myself into rugby. Mm -hmm. So I loved rugby. So I played for Australia at under 21 levels, played provincial rugby, played against the British Lions many many years ago in Australia and whilst and, and at the same time I was studying law mm. so at this stage like everything's fine you know and there was nothing you know drink drink and drugs were a, you know were a part of my life but quite minor mm. and then I um, went to Oxford University for a year did postgraduate studies there and then um, Saw a varsity match, yes, went to Oxford, saw the varsity match, played in the varsity match, got a diploma from Oxford University, came over here, played for Harlequins, and then ended up in the city mm -hmm. as a foreign exchange trader at Citibank. I worked at Canary Wharf, I was there for 18 years, and I became a director of the bank. And obviously with what came with that was um, a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, living the high life, you know, living in this apartment on the river up in London. But cocaine had entered my life and um, even though I used for 20 years the last three to five was completely and utterly out of control and I literally fell off a cliff yeah. so the vision is here's this guy with all this achievement behind him you know the law degree the the rugby the Oxford but Bobby what I realized mate they were, they were labels you right. know what I mean they were identities that had happened in my life and when in my 40s Life got tough. I'm going to say tough. I ended up being in a country I didn't want to be in with a woman I didn't want to be with who was my ex-girlfriend, mother of my two children, and doing a job I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. 
and my solution was cocaine. Yeah. Uh, my coping mechanism was cocaine. Pride and ego play a big part in my descent mm. into drug addiction because I just wouldn't put my hand up. Yeah. My pride, you know, I was the, in my mind, I was the guy who got things done. Yeah. You know, the law degree, the Oxford, the city, this, that, and had properties and pension schemes and super schemes, superannuation schemes and shares and everything was there. So I'll beat this. Yeah. I'll beat this. I've got, you know, like, you know, they, we're all delusional, right? We go, <laughs> I've got this under control. Yeah. And, um, you know, it descended to a, uh, at the end, it was, um, I was doing 20 to 30 grams a week. I was doing up to six grams a day. As a data user, obviously, mm. I was doing eighty thousand pounds a year in coke, and I, and I say those numbers because, um, just to, just to get an indication of how bad I was. Now I'm I'm saying that I'm sure there's people who are worse, mm. but I lost five stone because I wasn't eating. So when I went into rehab, I was under ten, about fourteen and a half stone. So I was under ten stone. So how was it before? It was, look, there was some great moments. I had some great times in my life. There's no two ways about it. But I, I describe it as one minute the dog is wagging the tail, the next minute the tail is wagging the dog. Yeah, wow. And I was just beholden to white powder. My life, I'd wake up in the morning and I was gripped, absolutely gripped with a craving, this physical craving. I had to have cocaine. Yeah. And my head was just absolutely obsessing about coke um, I didn't think there was a way out I went to rehab I had six weeks in rehab I came out eight days out of rehab I relapsed mm -hmm. I ended up at a hotel in South End and I just went industrial for three weeks I just I don't know if I was trying to kill myself or it was the last hurrah or whatever I don't know and um, then you know 3.22am on the clock on the TV in the hotel room and I just said I'm fucking done I can't do this. I, I, it is taking a lot more out of me than I'm getting out of it. So, I, um, and that was the 18th of June, 2016. Well done, man. Yeah, thanks, Bobby. Yeah, mate, I haven't had, and you know, look, we all have to embrace abstinence, mm. which I did. And that was, that was difficult. You know, like, at the end, I wasn't drinking at all. No. My focus, my whole life, which would be really broad and really deep and really robust and colourful and whatever, literally came down to one subject. Yeah. was cocaine. Yeah. Like, before, I had, to do, I had to deal with the guilt, shame and remorse and embarrassment of doing two or three lines of cocaine before I could take my kids to school. Yeah. Wow. Now it's, it, that stuff's really hard to process, you yeah. know, in recovery. And I just realised, you know, just over the years, obviously I've processed for life and thought, for all the things I achieved, when I entered that rehab, I was nothing more than just a gen you know, generic yeah. you know, drug user. Sat in a rehab, crying my eyes out and all that sort of stuff and blah, blah, blah. So I come out of it and I just threw myself into meetings. Mm. And the comfort I got from being around like-minded people, yeah, I never told a story that shocked anyone. <laughs> Not one, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, you know, if you're around drug addicts and re well, recovering drug addicts mm. there's a million and one ways into addiction but once you're in addiction the stories are about the same yeah. 
self-loathing, mm -hmm. self-pity, life slipping away physically, mentally, spiritually, loss of relationships, loss of houses, loss of cars, loss of jobs, just loss of the, you know, like we all sort of end up in pretty much the same space. Yeah. And I, um, I went to Vange, Open Road, and uh, on a Sunday morning, I'll never forget it. And it was one of, it was a seminal moment in my life because, you know, my using in all, in, in truth was high end in the sense I'm up in the city, yeah. you know, there's restaurants, there's bars, and they're a bit glamorous, but it's prestige, a bit status, whatever. And I went to Vange and, um, you know, to hear the raw, um, I suppose, say street using mm. stories, absolutely fucking rocked me. Mm. I just, it rocked me. And I realised it was a, like a real sobering, pardon the pun, mm. moment of, um, you know, just how, where this stuff can really, really take you. Yeah. And um, so I went there and then in the last seven and a half years, I did not go back to Sydney. I got offered a couple of jobs. I didn't go back. I, I made a, I, I just made a, um, commitment to be the best father I could be to my two children yeah, they're now 14 and 11 so you know you do the math you know like seven and a half years ago they were like six and four when mm -hmm. I went into rehab a great relationship with my children and then I got so intrigued and fascinated about how people heal and recover mm -hmm. not just from drug not just from drug drink of drugs but you know childhood trauma you know, dysfunctional households mm -hmm. I saw so many people in the fellowships that had not only restored themselves to sanity, but made them acceptable and productive members of society. Mm. And I thought, this is unbelievable. Like that these, I couldn't, you know, and, you know, heard stories of people who just, you know, grew up in alcoholic families, addicted families, criminal, mm. criminal families, and didn't really have a chance. But mate, they, they just worked and they've owned and taken responsibility and got their lives back on track. I just found it so, so inspirational. So then I went and thought, you know what, I've been, it's, all a bit, it's, it's been all about me my whole life. Yeah. Everything's been about me. I'm not arrogant, but clearly I was self-centered because of what I did. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, I wanna give back, I wanna help people. So I went and studied, I did a two and a half year diploma, became a therapeutic counselor. Yeah started a website six months ago and now I do um, all sorts of um, um, what I call giving in the sense of I work at Mind, mm. uh, mental health charities, so I work Basildon there, which I love, mm. um, helping people for nothing and you know just doing my best with them. Work with, with all sorts of different clients, the thing that's, the, the thing that's really um, came out of nowhere was, I do some stuff on LinkedIn, I do some stuff on Facebook and whatever. And it's funny, the, the energy you put out into the world as to what comes back. Um, I, um, yeah, I'm mentoring a lot of people, especially people in their 30s. Mm. And what I've worked out is, people in their 50s and 60s are not gonna get counseling. No. Well, because they come from that era. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Put the shoulders back, Put the chest Chin out, up, yeah. like, you know, dig in, get through it, yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Whereas 
you can you can say people can get very negative about the younger generation, so-called woke generation or whatever. But what I'm finding with people, especially in their thirties and forties, is that that stigma around mental health yeah. mm-hmm. and about putting your hand up yeah. and embracing some sort of um, like counselling or mentoring or some sort of service, you know, mm-hmm. that the younger generations are more happy to embrace that. Mm-hmm. So I'm loving the mentoring, um, love working with mind. And just to be honest, my life has just turned around, you know, they say beyond your wildest dreams. Yeah. It has turned around beyond all comprehension for me. I love that. And, um, you know, if you, like, I don't, you know, clearly I don't drink, I don't drug. Um, I've had some real revelations around the fact that I'm not brilliant, I'm not special, I'm not, dip, dip, you know, especially different, I'm not amazing, the world doesn't revolve around me. Um, but what I'm really happy with and content with, mate, I'm happy with the guy in the mirror. Love that. Yeah, I yeah. you know I look at I look and go, mate, you're all right. You know, I spend my life in a worthy cause. Mm. I'm present and available for my kids. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I am absolutely aware that I'm not the father of the year. But what my kids are getting the best of me, mm. whatever the best of me is. You know what I mean? Yeah, love that. Like yeah. I'm just I, I'm present. I'm available. I pick them up school. I take I, I co-parent, so I get them half the week. Mm. I pick them up from school, drop them to school, there when they need me. Um, as I said, clearly I don't drink, I don't drug, but my whole lens I look through life is a lot different. So I would suggest I'm more compassionate, mm. I'm more understanding, mm. I'm more patient, I'm more tolerant. Listen, I'm no angel, I'm no saint, I make <laughs> mistakes, I'll make amends. Um, and with my kids, yeah, they piss me off at times and I piss them off. But by and large, those kids have got a present and available father in their lives and who loves them. Mm. And I say to my kids, okay, this is me, I'm not, not, you know, this is not everyone's view, but my view is, I said to my kids, I said, look, you know, the best two things I can give you is one, the best education. This is, this is just my take. Best education I can afford. And so my kids do go to private school. That's just my take. I've got yeah. no comment to make on any type of other schooling, but that's where they're at. So the two things I can give you is the best education I can afford, and secondly, my love. Yeah. And to be able, like, Bobby, you know what it's like, mate. Mm. When you're in a grip of addiction, yeah. you're not really any use to anybody, no, no. not least of all yourself. And if, you're not, if you can't be the best version of yourself, how can you be of service yeah. to others? Yeah. So today, they get the best of me, Mate, I sponsor, still sponsor people. You do, yeah. Still go to, absolutely, very important to me, yeah, sponsoring right. people, yeah. because that keeps me grounded. Mm. I read those, you know, I read the literature. Um, I absolutely believe in a 12-step program. Oh, wow, good. Yeah, because you can get clean and sober, but there's a, the 12 steps gave me an opportunity to not only clear out the chaos and carnage of my life, but really to work out who I am. Mm-hmm. Once I take away all the masks, the labels, all that stuff, that that law stuff, that Oxford stuff, that take away the labels, mm-hmm. like and identities, yeah. like who is Kent? Yeah. And I've had in the twelve step program working with my sponsor, working with my support group within the fellowships, then going and studying. Um, 
I've learned, yeah, I've got some um, strengths of character, but I've got defects of character as mm -hmm. well. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Yeah. So, mate, I think that's a pretty, I'd like to think it's a pretty thorough answer <laughs> to your question. Yeah. So it was the before and the after pretty much, yeah. wasn't it? Really? No, I love it, yeah. There's, it brought up so much for me, like, especially recently, I've been, you know, as a, a recovering addict myself, all of that material stuff that you were talking about, mm. I've never experienced it on that level of, mm. you know, inverted commas, success that you enjoyed. Mm. But I find it fascinating that even... Like, because so many people strive for that, don't they? For, mm. for in today, material possessions or, or or see their worth through what they've achieved Correct. and the rest of it. But you've you've just said that none of that meant anything to you. No. Well, just to pick up on that, I sat in a rehab, right? So I was over in Halstead. So as I said, this was this was April two thousand sixteen, on ten stone. Mm. Mate, I had thirty two inch jeans. So those that obviously can't see me. So I'm six foot. So I was under 10 stone and I had 32 inch jeans and when I took the belt out of the jeans, they just dropped to the floor. Yeah. I didn't have any fat, I didn't have any muscle, whatever. And I, so that was my physical state. My mental state was all over the place. There was no spirituality. And one night I went to the, my room, I was in a, on a single bed and I just started sobbing. Yeah. I started sobbing and what I realised was that externally, superficially or I had everything, mm. and mate, I had nothing. Yeah. I had nothing. Mm. I, I, my soul was completely and utterly empty. Yeah. I saw a photograph of me the other day, which was, you know, pretty much unrecognisable, and I was very gaunt and whatever. Yeah. And I was smiling, and I was talking to someone about the photograph, and I said, you know, isn't it interesting? Even in my darkest days, I still had my smile. And then I felt really sad because I thought, that's all I had. Yeah. I had nothing else. No. All I had was just this smile and I, how I did not have a heart attack is beyond my comprehension. So to answer your question, mate, I had everything and I had nothing. Yeah. Drugs took me to the doors of death. It's, it's, a, it's a great leveller, isn't it, in that, oh. in that respect, addiction, because like you said, you ultimately it leads us all to the same place doing the same yes. things, you know. Um, I always find it fascinating because I... For me, they talk about the fear-based illness, right, that lives in my mind. And, and from childhood, I, I always, I, well, I recognise it now, I didn't then, but I've always been frightened, you know, always been fearful and all the rest of it. And there was some trauma in my childhood, not not massive trauma, but you sound like your childhood was pretty idyllic in that sense. So do you have any views on, on trauma in, in addiction or do you believe people are born this way? Or Okay, so I, I think... A couple of things, right? So firstly, I think there's a million and one ways into addiction. Mm. It doesn't have to be trauma. It doesn't have to be this. So because it doesn't discriminate, no. right? So you, here I am, you know, male, Australian, private school education, no trauma as such. I had, my brother died. When I was 16, I had a brother who was 18 who died. Oh. But mate, that's not, that, that didn't lead me into addiction, no. you know what I mean? So what I'm saying is, is that, it doesn't, it doesn't discriminate. And um, the other thing I'll add to that is that, so there's a million and one ways into addiction, but as far as I'm concerned, mm. and I can only speak for myself, yeah. there's only one way out. Wow. And that's a 12-step program. I love that, yeah. Right? That is my belief. And mine. 
Yeah, because I can't, I can't come up with, I can't say anything else because I've got no experience on, yeah. of recovery of anything mm. else. So I thought I was dead to the world, mm. right? I, I thought I, I'm going to die, yeah. right? And you know, I was crying my eyes out in that 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 that, that um, rehab. Finished there, come out, relapsed, da da da. Then I, then I threw myself into recovery with twelve step program. So it's my belief is it doesn't have to be trauma, but when it gets you and we cross that line, mm. I absolutely categorically believe there's no way back, mm. right, to to sanity, to to a life of not using. There's no way back to that life without help, mm. without the help yeah. of another recovering addict. Yeah. I absolutely categorically believe, and I can't. I can't express enough gratitude. Right, as you said, we're not mentioning the fellowships, but the twelve-step program, mm. mate. I cannot recommend it more. Yeah. See, mm. the thing I find beautiful about it is that it's a spiritual program, obviously, but there are psychological components involved. You know, mm. and, and those steps four and five for me, they they changed everything. You know, the ability to we we spoke about um, guilt, shame, and remorse. And I'd always, <clears throat> I said before we started, I'd, I'd tried, in inverted commas, recovery, and I'd get to my step four, and I'd leave off all of the, the really cringy stuff that I didn't want to tell another man. Yeah. I couldn't be honest, and then I'd go and use, and I'd think, this program's shit, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But in terms of like the psychological component of being able to share how you feel with another person, yeah. um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Very, absolutely key. Mm. Absolutely key, and, and, and this is where I think, you know, any sort of healing process or recovery process um, can get a little bit uh, difficult for men, yeah. in particular, mm. all right? Recovery from addiction is difficult for male, female, whatever, right? Okay, but the problem with the difficulty of men is as you say, a man's gonna put up his hand and go, I need help. Mm. Now men find that very, very difficult. Mm. And then the next thing you've got to do is you've got to get vulnerable yeah. and you've got to talk about your feelings. You've got to be honest, truthful and mm. talk about your feelings and emotions. Mm. And that's, that's I found it extremely difficult. Mm. I don't these days. I don't care anymore. I just <laughs> don't care. No, I mean, but no, absolutely. Yeah, it, 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 you know, and, but that's where the juice is. Like once I got, once I got uh, rigorous, rigorously honest mm. and truthful, mm. Then that's when I, that's, you know, it's almost like the more vulnerable I made myself, the greater the growth. Yeah. That's, that. that's, that's the way it felt looking back. Mm. Mate, I absolutely, you know, I don't want to, I, I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how grateful I am. Mm. You, you spoke about that, um, <clears throat> again, that pride and ego about putting your hand up and yeah. saying, I'm fucked here, oh. I need some help, you know? Um, and we're so lucky we've been given that, like you said, the gifts gift of desperation yeah. where I had that internal snap you know it wasn't <laughs> funny enough as well it was in a hotel room yeah. um, but it wasn't even my worst use up you know it was just mm. uh, I just I've had enough yeah. and I got to that point where I had to put my hand up yeah. um, your life's really turned about face in, nice in, in the sense of how like altruistic you are and, and giving yeah. back and being of service and yeah. what are your thoughts on that because for me I was so self-centered as well yeah. I didn't I, I thought at some point, I'm just going to wrestle satisfaction out of life, yeah. you know, and I'll yeah. have enough and, and, and it'll yeah. be enough. And it, it never ever was. Yeah. But I learned that helping others is, is such a beautiful gift, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so picking up on that, so 
I think there's a, there's a, this is, I got on this pathway, right? So I go to private school, so in private schools, they go, right, we're gonna educate you and you're gonna get good jobs. Yeah. You know, so you, so the thinking is, you'll get a, you know, a degree or you'll get a, some sort of well-paid, powerful job because that's the way to go. Mm. That's the message, right? So then I'm in, so I'm at a private school where everyone, the expectations are high. Then I go to law school where all these guys are lawyers that are going to, you know, change the world through law. Mm. Then I'm at Oxford University, which is, you know, obviously super intelligent people who, you know, you, you're thinking they're gonna go out and be successful. So there's this, next minute I'm up in the city and I'm earning good money and all these influences are jumping in on me mm. and social conditioning. The social conditioning says, get a big house, yeah. get a big car, yeah. have plenty of money, wear designer clothes. And if you get that, mm. you're going to be happy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, fuck, I didn't get the memo. <laughs> Mate, because I ended up in Rio. Yeah. And, you know, and so I think there's, um, so what I'm saying is we get conditioned to society and some people work it out early mm. about, I believe life is about love and connection. Yeah. Now I would not have said that 10 years ago, yeah. but to me, I've had materialism and I, and I ended up chronically unfulfilled. Yeah. Okay, now I'm not gonna say that I wanna be poor and on the streets and you know, I'm not gonna be, you know, you know, like a Mother Teresa type, Gandhi type person. Mm. But what I'm saying is, is that I get great fulfillment today out of giving mm. and helping people. I told you the story about the the, the, the guy at Mind. Yeah. Um, Do you want to share that story? That's a yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. So, and, I, and the reason I, I told you, and I'm going to share it now, is it just to demonstrates you know, we started this podcast, you said, where were you then and where are you now? Mm. And I think this story demonstrates that. So, and by the way, if anyone wants to ask, this this young man knows that, I've, I, you know, I've got authority to tell his story. I'm not gonna say his name, but, so I'm working in Mind, and uh, at, at Basildon, this kid comes in, he's 17, boy, he comes in 17 years old, and his presenting issue is uh, grief. So I said to him, um, you know, what, what's the grief? And he's 17, Ma. And um, he said that two years earlier, just over two years earlier, just before his 15th birthday, he was in an apartment in Canby and um, with his boyfriend. And his boyfriend said he needed to go to the toilet and the boyfriend went upstairs and my client was downstairs and he thinks, geez, he's been a while. Mm. So my client goes upstairs and he opens up the, the toilet door to be met with the sight that his boyfriend had taken a knife with him, had cut himself from wrist to elbow on both arms, had cut through his own groin, cut through his own knee and there's blood clearly everywhere. And he, he died in my client's arms. And my, my client was just shy of 15 years old. So in the, in the intervening two years between that event and seeing me, he had terror nightmares every single night of his life, smashing walls, angers out of control, throwing the controller to his Xbox everywhere, you know, being very disruptive within his family, um, isolating, dropping out of social circles, as you can imagine, yeah, right? Course, like you're course. gonna think, of course, mm -hmm. right? So anyway, cut a long story short, we did 12 sessions and, and we, you know, we, we, you know, we went through a lot of stuff, clearly. 
And, um, you know, about session eight, I said, look, how are the nightmares going? And he said, mate, I'm not having nightmares. And, and I think all of us can relate to the sleepless nights, right? If you have sleepless nights, you're lacking in energy. You know, you can't do life, no, right? No. How would you like to be having every night of your life yeah, being disrupted? Yeah. And so that was a really big break for us. I said, how's the anger going? He said, I haven't punched walls, whatever. And it was clear that, um, you know, he was improving in a number of areas. Mm. Anyway, at the end, uh, we talked about him going back to, you know, getting into college and all this sort of stuff. And on his last day, um, I said, okay, and on, on, on his first session, zero to 10, mm. zero being suicidal, 10 being, you know, euphorically joyful. On his very, very first session, he was zero. So he was suicidal, right? On his last session, we, we sat there. It was emotional. It was only two weeks ago. It was emotional for me. It was emotional for both of us, really. And I said, mate, you know, no nightmares. Hadn't had a nightmare for four months or three months or something like that. Um, getting out, back in the nature, playing football, re-engaging with his family. His family had seen a big change in him. You know, that love and connection, which we talked about, right? And I said, okay, zero to ten, where are you today? And he said... Now that was his last session. Now, you know, whether he's a 10 or not, he's not zero. Wow. You got what I mean? Yeah. You know, that's what I wow. mean. So go back to your question. No amount of money in the city, I never had that feeling of fulfillment. No. But moved emotionally in a humanistic sense. Yeah. And the other thing as well, Bobby, is that, man, how good do you think it makes me feel that I've helped a 17-year-old young man. Yeah. You've got to remember this. This is a kid yeah. who's had an absolutely, you know, unbelievably traumatic event. Mm. And in, and I'm not, listen, make one thing clear. I'm not brilliant. I'm not amazing. <laughs> I'm not special. But I've just assisted him in some way that's going to give, that, that he can go through life not burdened by nightmares, not mm. burdened, burdened by terror nightmares, not burdened by what had happened. He's still going to, I said to him, he's still going to work through this through, you know, you still remember this stuff and you've got the tools and skills. So getting back on point, unbelievably fulfilling. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, and to have that gift today, it changed from, yeah, I was that guy up in the city, you know, at a bank, shiny building, you know, money, this, that and the other, me, 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 budgets make this, you get paid this, da, 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 da. Mm. I could not be any more different and I'm, I'm very happy very very happy with the person that i am today i love that do you yeah. think that <clears throat> this sort of stuff's all preordained that you were that you were you went through addiction to be able to help other people or oh, i tell you mate I, uh, listen i i'm firmly in the camp these days of there are there's no coincidences mm-hmm. I, I i yes in answer to your question i believe and i've said this to family and friends i go listen who've known me all their life they go mate wow you're doing all this different this is amazing, like, the change, what you're doing. I said, I believe I had to go through all of that. Mm. That's what I believe. Mm. I believe I had to go through all of that to do what I'm doing today. Yeah. That's well, my belief. It gives you the experience to draw on, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, the counselling, or the therapeutic counselling, where did that come from? Just an idea sparked in your mind and, and you dedicated yourself to it? And, and also, like... What are the modalities that you use, or have you got a specific technique that you use, or is it just an amalgamation of Great everything question. that you've learned? Really, really good question. 
and this is this is where the program you know the 12-step program and the people around it you know in the fellowships this is where it they just don't they just don't stop giving everyone's giving right the bloke said to me one day and he's he's a number of years more you know about 15 years please say something he said mate i think you'd make a great counselor and i said oh, i've absolutely got no interest in listening to other people's problems so i've got my own problems right he said no 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 no. you you, you really got a misconception here like you've got no idea about the fulfillment of um helping you know giving and he said i recommend you do a you know this just go and do this what they call counseling skills course it's just a taster six months cost you a few hundred quid you know i went to, i loved it yeah fuck it just couldn't psychology and mm human interactions and why we are the way we are and like you know i grew up in australia and i'm in queensland country and you grew up in essex and we both end up in addiction why does that happen and what happened and this that and the other relationship with my father which i thought was perfect mm. and i've got no i've got no criticism of my father but he was a little bit emotionally distant because of the way he was brought up and to understand those dynamics yeah. understanding that i was a people pleaser understanding that I'm a rescuer mm -hmm. so I started to learn all this stuff and um, and then I thought after six months I thought I'll, I will you know I'll finish this mm -hmm. and and actually become a uh, counselor there's a second part to that question yeah well. about what the modalities you Correct. use or, or yeah. uh, techniques or yeah. yeah so the first thing I'll say is the first thing that blew me away with once I started my counseling is how much um, how much just talking mm. helps forget about modalities or whatever mm. and with men in particular yeah. if you can if there can be a, a therapeutic relationship really strong around trust yeah. and faith yeah. I I seem to have an ability for people to feel comfortable Lovely. so once I start talking and I and I go look my story was I used to be an addict, you know, and they go, really? I go, yeah, I was pretty fucked, actually. <laughs> I tell them my story. That then gives them the green light mm. to open up on all their vulnerabilities. Right. So first and foremost, just to talk. Mm. Just to talk about whatever's going on. Yeah. Give it air. Put it out into the universe. Yeah. Listen, you know, someone who's, who's, who's compassionate understand. That's the first thing. Modalities. I do, um, largely I'll lean into cognitive behavioural theory, so CBT. I love thought records, like challenge, challenge the thought. Wow. So, yeah, it, mate, I think it's, I think it's a for, because there's sort of two levels, right? There's, 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 everyone has anxiety. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned fear mm. today. So anger, fear, resentment, um, anxiety, right? And so in all, in, in our days, this, uh, this thing, so Podetsky thought record, very, very simple, so simple, everyone can do it. And basically it goes like this. I've got an event, what's the emotion? I'm anxious. Why am I anxious? I'm anxious because of something, right? Mm. Um, so okay, well, with an easy one. Um, I come here today, mm. right? So what's the event? I'm gonna do a podcast with Bobby. What's the, what's the emotion? anxiety mm. so what's 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 the hot thought behind the anxiety i might fuck this up right because you know i might not be good enough mm. or something right so the next thing is 
what are what's what's the what's the um, evidence that supports that you're going to fuck it up? And you go, well, I don't know, Bobby. I I, I you know haven't done too many podcasts. Am I out of my depth or whatever that sort of stuff? So you you know you got to get evidence on both sides of the fence. Then you go, well, what's the evidence that you're not going to fuck it up, mm-hmm. or that you know you know that you're not useless or something, right? Mm-hmm. You go, well, you know, I've got a law degree and went to Oxford, and you know I've, I've driven this car here without having an accident, so that <laughs> that proves I'm not useless, useless right? Yeah. I'm sure that Bobby is a you know, productive, acceptable member of society is doing this podcast or whatever. So when you rate your anxiety at the start, I might be say the anxiety seventy percent. Mm. Then you re-rate. Then what happens is you put a more balanced perspective on what's going to happen. So you'll go. So you go the event, the emotion. What's the hot thought? I'm useless. What supports that you're useless? What doesn't support that you're useless? And then you go. What's a better perspective about this event? Just relax. You know, I have survived 100% of my bad moments in life, my bad days, <laughs> right? Amen. So, I've, I've, right, I'm 59 years old and I've survived 100% of my bad days. Am I going to get through this session with Bobby? I think I'm all right. So then you re-rate the anxiety. Yeah, and so that's CBT. Yeah. So I do a fair bit of that. The other thing about CBT, what are you a little bit careful about is that if there's a really, really core belief underneath it about, you know, abandonment or rejection or something. So you may have to go deeper. Yeah. But um, initially that's it. And then transactional analysis, which is just parent, adult, child. and So I do those, mm. but without a shadow of a doubt, without a, with absolute shadow of a doubt, the, the best thing is, is just listening. Yeah. Is providing, holding space for someone, a safe, confidential, mm. non-judgmental space. Yeah. Mate, that, that works wonders just in itself without any engaging, any sort of modality. I love that. I love that you touched upon as well, sharing your experiences before um, another person tells their story. And mm-hmm. I try and do that as well. When I, <clears throat> when I work with sponsees, I tell them the worst of what I did in my addiction, yeah. all that shameful stuff, you know, yeah. um, purely to give them that ability to be able to share whatever they've yeah. got on their plate with me, you know, yeah. in, a, in a judgment-free space. But... Um, I love the idea that, like, I can't live in my head. If I ruminate in my yeah. head, it's dangerous. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and as soon as I, I, I just liken it to like pulling it out into the light. You know, all that darkness, I'm just pulling yeah. into the light, and it, and it can't survive in that space. You know, yeah. once it's out of me, it's out of me, and that's yeah. I think half of the battle. You know, actually yeah, being able to share what's gone on. Yeah. Um. So, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so I've got I've got a website, so Kepray Counseling. Um, if you yeah, I mean if you Google Kepray Counseling, it'll come up. It's got a website, it's got a phone number. I'm I'm, you know, I, I started six months ago, and my diaries filled up pretty quickly. Yeah, but obviously, clients come and go. So you know, Bobby, I know it sounds really corny, but I just want to help people. Yeah, I Seriously, yeah. I don't. You know, the money. Do I want to get paid for what I do? Yes, I do. But money's not the priority. No. I, there's not an amount of money I need to make or something. My thing is, I'll be, tr- I'll be really, really honest with you here, right? I'm 60 in May, mm. and I got this from my brother, and my brother, who's eight years older than me, and he said to me, mate, he said, look, if you get to 80, you need 
you're doing well. Yeah. He says, so you're 60. So you've got 20 years to go. He said, when you're in the 70s, your mobility probably not going to be that great. Mm. He said, and I said, fucking hell, this is a pretty dark conversation. <laughs> he said, no, my point is, get living. Yeah, wow. Get living. Yeah. Like, if you want to do something, and I said, I do want to do something. Mm. I want to help people. So as a result of that, I've got energised and I'm amped up, as you can tell. Yeah, I, I get amped up to, I just, I don't, I want to say to people loud and clear, you can recover. Mm. You can, re it is, ab recovery is, is absolutely possible. Mm. Now, not everyone gets it mm. because that's the nature of addiction. Yeah, yeah. But what I'd urge people to do, get brave. Get courageous, yeah. put your hand up, own it. Okay, so I say to people, people go, you know, might have, I heard this from a lady and she had childhood trauma, child yeah. abuse. And she she shared, I couldn't believe her share. It was so, it was so inspirational, right? Yeah. And I went and spoke to her after, I said, God, you're brave. And I said, that story about you know, sexual abuse and da, 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 da. And she said, listen, you know, we are not responsible for what happened to us, but we are definitely responsible for our own recovery. That's beautiful. And I thought to myself, you are one super powerful woman. And that is an amazing message because we can all sit there and blame what happened. Yeah. You know, oh, you know, if you had my girlfriend, you'd be fucking using tokens, <laughs> yeah. all that sort of stuff, yeah. and blame. Work was stressful and whatever. Mm. No, no, no. Don't point out, no blame. Stand up, take ownership. Yeah. Of the future yeah. take ownership of recovery yeah. and that's my my message to people is healing and recovery is definitely definitely possible yeah. but you've got to get courageous and you've got to do some work yeah you've yeah. got to you've got to be committed to do it that's why i um see because <clears throat> i think you've just answered the question but i was going to say about because people go to a meeting and they might stand outside, they might be divering, shall I go into this meeting, I'm fearful, I'm, I'm all the rest yeah, of it. What would, you say to, what would you say to someone who's on the sort of precipice of, of going to get help? Right, the first thing I'd say is, I've been there. Mm. I've been there. For all that stuff I achieved, I was standing outside, I'd, I'd, I'd go to these meetings and I was so amped up with, with, with nervousness yeah. and anxiety, yeah. right? But basically that's a, that's a question of to what lengths will you go to? To what, if you've got the dis gift of desperation, which I had, yeah. and you had, yeah. because you went into the meeting. Yeah, you went into the meeting. I banged right? on the door, it already started. That's I needed it. to get in there. You I don't know you, where I would have been yeah, if so, I so that, in that night. So for me, first thing is, it's normal. Mm. You're yeah. going to be anxious. Yeah, you break it down like this, right? Why are you anxious? You've never been in the meeting before. Mm. And this meeting is talking about being honest and getting vulnerable. And this is really, oh, this is this is really making me feel very, very uncomfortable, yeah. right? So we've all been there, mm. and I urge you, just be brave. Mm. Just be. I'll tell you for why, right? What I found was, once I got brave and courageous and just metaphorically opened the door to mm. recovery, mm. I got met with love. Beautiful. I got met yeah. with love, and yeah. I couldn't. I could not believe it. These people didn't know me. We had, we could not have had any more different backgrounds, mm -hmm. right? And all they wanted, maybe okay. Would you like a cup of tea? Mm -hmm. Maybe you're in the right place. Yeah. I remember when I was relapsing early doors, and these guys were saying, "You keep coming back. I promise you, mm -hmm. you're going to be all right." 
but you've got to keep coming back. Yeah. Right? And they, I remember once as Dave, the old Dave, fuck me, it was amazing. I, I went to a couple of meetings, I went to Australia for a couple of weeks because my mother died. Right. Not a couple of meetings, a number of meetings. I was about three months clean and sober and it was it was Vange at, um, it, Vange meeting. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I went there and uh, I, went to, I went to Australia quickly because mum died quickly. And my phone uh, wasn't taking any messages from the UK. Mm. It wasn't set up that way. So when I flew back from the funeral, my mother's funeral, I hit the ground in in um, in London. My phone just you know went off, and there's a load of you know messages. And David left about four or five messages going, you know, Kent, are you okay, mate? Even if you've relapsed, please keep coming yeah. back. You're going to be okay, mate. And I'm thinking, like. I couldn't believe the love. Yeah, I couldn't believe you know, we've got each other's backs. Yeah, yeah. You know, no matter no matter what your background is, mm-hmm. no matter you know how intelligent, not intelligent, wealthy, not wealthy, whatever background mm-hmm. you've got, if you have a desire, desire is massive. Mm-hmm. If you've got a desire to change, that you will be enveloped with love, support, compassion, empathy, sympathy. You'll never, ever, ever have to be alone ever again. You know what? I think that's an absolutely beautiful point to leave it, Ken. Thank Great. you so much for coming. My pleasure. Today, mate. God bless you. Top man. We may refer to the source by different names God, a higher power, the Holy Spirit, or perhaps the cosmos. The source of the entire universe, the unified field, everything that is beyond the perception. Just received an update.